This is the Menopause Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Gordon. Now here at the Menopause Movement, we've surveyed over 50,000 menopausal women. And through this, we've discovered that the number one cause of menopausal suffering for our clients is weight gain. Now you've said things like, how do I lose the mental belly? I don't recognize myself anymore. How can I get me back? When menopause hit me out of the blue, I had no idea what was happening. And when I gained about 50 pounds overnight, I hated what I saw in the mirror. The menopause movement exists to provide world-class transformational education to women who are suffering from the symptoms and effects of menopause. And we're here to give you the education you need to get your life back. We want menopause to be the best time of your life. I mean, it is for me, and I want that for you. After years of trial and error, I finally cracked the code with my menopause weight, and now I want to share with you how I did it. I realized that what helped me the most was a challenge. So we've created a challenge for you to help you lose your mental belly. Simply go to menopausemovement.com forward slash challenge to sign up. I'll see you there. What's up, everyone? So excited to be here today with author and fitness coach, Amanda Thebe. If menopause has felt like the apocalypse of your life, this episode is for you. I've been following Amanda on Instagram for a while now, but when her post started to really resonate with me, I thought she would be a great fit for you. I had a great time talking with her today, and her passion for helping women thrive through menopause is evident in our conversation. Amanda is a personal trainer with nearly 30 years of experience in the fitness industry. She's a popular guest on podcasts and online summits, and her health and fitness tips have been featured in media outlets like Shape, Prevention, Healthline, Global News, and The Doctors. She is the author of Menopocalypse, How I Learned to Thrive During Menopause, and How You Can Too. She lives in Houston, Texas. During the podcast, we talk about Amanda's menopause experience and how it changed her life hormonal predation in the wellness industry, what to do to improve nutrition in menopause, how carbs aren't the enemy, exercise menopause mindset and accountability, Amanda's experience with contracting and recovering from COVID, the role failure plays in making ourselves better, and stay to the end to find out Amanda's stress management tips for us. At the end of the episode, make sure you visit menopausemovement.com forward slash blog, where you can find the show notes plus the links to the books and resources mentioned in the episode. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to like and subscribe on YouTube and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast. So you're always the first to know when each episode is released. If you haven't left a review for this podcast yet, please take the time to write a review because when you do this, more women can find it and get the help they need during the disruption of menopause because no one should have to go it alone. Thanks again for being a part of the menopause movement. And now let's get to Amanda. Amanda Thebe, welcome to the Menopause Movement Podcast. I'm really happy to have you here today. Yes, I'm very excited to be here. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah, so it's been really fun. I met you on Instagram and, you know, it, it's it, you're one of these unapologetic people that just basically calls crap out. And, you know, this this podcast particularly will probably be not safe for work because there's going to be quite a bit of swearing. And so I'm warning you now that if you're listening to this podcast or watching it on YouTube and you don't like swearing, you better click off. <laughs> 
know, I do, I do swear a little bit, but I always think it's appropriately done and in context with my fury at the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's a, that's a good intro to talk about fury. You wrote a book called Menopocalypse, and I did mention the, the book in the in the intro. And I want to just kind of get. I always ask people who come on the podcast, like, what is your menopause story? And, you know, you've really, I, I read most of your book and I love the fact that you kind of went through all the phases uh, by yourself. <laughs> and we've surveyed tens of thousands of women here in the menopause movement and almost everything you wrote in your book is kind of what, you know, it's just so relatable. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about what happened with you? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, it's maybe a bit of a men or mourn because like essentially that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to complain, but the, and I sometimes do get a sick, a bit sick of my own story too. Like, cause you know, women don't like to like dwell on things too much. I don't think, but I do also know that it matters that I've got a story because that makes me relatable. And my yeah. story is no different to hundreds of thousands of women, unfortunately. And so, um, it, it was, it's essentially that I went through perimenopause and I didn't know what was happening. I had no information. I was on my own. I actually had an amazing team of medical professionals, you know, helping me. I had a neurologist, ear, nose and throat doctor a vestibular rehabilitation, my own GP, they all could desperately see that I wasn't well and wanted to help me, but not one of them could join those dots together and say, maybe this is perimenopause, maybe Amanda is hormonal and she needs help in that respect. And I went, um, this was when I was age 42, and I went into my 40s, you know, as smug as fuck. Like I just was like, look at me, I'm nailing, I'm nailing this aging business. I'm fit, I'm healthy, I feel good, and I do believe that I'm a good role model for women. I mean, I never try and compete. I always try and be, you know, a one. we're all the same, right? And so I always wanted to be that approachable person. And then all of a sudden, I didn't recognize what was happening to me. I had extreme symptoms that impacted impacted my quality of life, impacted my relationships with my husband and my children and my friends. I lost the person that I am today. Mm. So I, I have come back, thankfully. I um symptoms of um vertigo, extreme dizziness, loss of feeling in my face down one side of my body, ultimately depression, which I didn't know I had, because I think when you've never had depression and then you get depression, you don't know. I just thought I was this miserable cow and this was my new personality and I just had to get on with it. And, you know, I went to see a gynecologist and he, it was about something else, a ovarian cyst. And at the end of the consultation, he said, okay, you go, you're good to go. I'll see you in a year. And I started crying and he was like, what's the matter? And I went, I don't know, actually. I've spent two years not knowing who I am anymore. And he went, the, the, and I told him my story and he went, these are symptoms of perimenopause. They're very standard. I suspect you've got migraine with aura, which I turns out I have, yeah. and you're struggling with depression and I can help you and these are valid. And for the first time in those two years, I actually felt a sense of relief and not despair. And that sort of sent me down the path to being like, no woman should have to go through this. We're all, if we're lucky enough, going to go through this. Why, 
why could nobody help me? Yeah. Like why? I, I mean, your 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 story is so so common and it's it's you know similar to mine, but I gained a lot of weight. I mean, I gained almost overnight, I gained like 50 pounds. And 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 it felt like that, right? And and so it was like, well, what do I do now? You know, and and why am I crying at commercials? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so we have this this problem that, you know, we, we like to say that if this happened to men, there would be some some solution probably. And it, it doesn't. It happens to us as women. And it's important that we figure it out. And so for me, it was like, if, if I'm having this much trouble as a doctor finding information, then how much more can it be for the uh, the rest of the women who have, you know, been able to go through menopause. And and I like to say, you know, it's not really a med medical condition per se, you can get some because of the symptoms, but what it is, is the privilege of a long life. And when, what, what we get to do is then figure out what, what our life is like now. And I think that's where your book comes in because it is a nice guidebook for kind of how to, how to navigate. It is. And you know, y'all, a story is not unfamiliar either. Like the idea, the, the amount of doctors, thankfully my book is written in a respectful way to the medical community. And a lot of doctors are jumping on it saying it's really nice to have a, like a lay person's point of view to, yeah. um, to go with the medical perspective, um, which is very much the way my viewpoint aligns. And, um, but there's so many doctors I've spoken to exactly the same as you. And I'm like, Jesus, I'm speaking to gynecologists that never did this in their fellowship training. Yeah. And we know, we know now that the numbers are like 10 and 20% of them may do a two hour course. It's shocking. And so part of the reason that I wanted to, well, I actually didn't want to be a voice of menopause. It literally was never in my dreams to do this, but I, but one of the reasons I was driven to actually take up the cause was because I shared my story about three or four years ago in one blog article and it sort of went viral in my world. It wasn't like massive, but maybe it's like 60,000 people shared it. And it was like, that's me. That's me. So I created a, like a community that was really just a salt box for women to say, like, is this perimenopause? Why am I struggling to find the information? Can you help me? Can you point me in the right direction? And I just couldn't believe that it had to be so hard. And, you know, you said it's not a medical condition and obviously it's not. It's, it's something that we end up being privileged to go through because obviously many women can't or don't, I should right. say. Um, but there are, there are solutions that are valid for women. They're just not offered to women. So that's what's frustrating for me as well is that if it were men, they would be offered a solution. Women are not being offered it and they're having to fight. They're being gaslighted by the medical community or, or told to just, you know, get on with it. Your mother did. And yeah, I, suffer and through I, it. Suffer through it. Yes, yeah, suffer. Just and and suffer that's the thing. Yeah. We shouldn't have to suffer, right? You think about childbirth and death. They're both natural, but we don't suffer, do we? There's no well, reason to suffer. I don't know. I suffered. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. but there are there are choices you can make as one. Of course. Yeah, no, and that's that's the thing. And what I found was when I was doing the research just for me, trying to figure out like how do how do I navigate this time in my life and make it something that it, you know doesn't suck 
uh, I started going through the, the research, started reading a bunch of books and reading articles. And, and what I found was that the, there was so much disjointed and strange information out there and, and a lot of misinformation. Like, so today, today's the day after you put up a, a post about one of these, uh, <laughs> one of these guys that preys on, on women who, uh, who are changing, right. And, or, or says that, that you, you, your hormones might be imbalanced, which is a load of shit ladies. Okay. Your hormones aren't imbalanced. It just, you might need a little bit of support, but I, imbalanced hormones is a, it's a, a phrase brought together, put together by the pharmaceutical companies and, it's the, not a and the supplement companies. It's yeah. not a medical term. Is it? It's not real used all yeah. the time. Yeah. It's bullshit. Uh, let's just <laughs> so but I mean, it's not that there isn't support there is I mean, you know, some of us do need some hormonal support and and that can help. But at the end of the day, th there are a lot there's a lot of misinformation out there because we don't really regulate hormonal stuff and that we can go down the whole path of patriarchy if we wanted to, to talk about that. But I don't know that that's really where we should go. I do think that when it comes to what we should talk about is when it comes to nutrition and menopause, right? This is, this is what you do. This is one of the big things that you do. And so how do you recommend that women who go through menopause really start to look at eating differently to support their changing bodies? Yeah. And I'll answer that with the like first part of the question, which was about being preyed on as well. So yeah. like, so I'm in the wellness industry, which is in, ugh, it's gross, right? Um, there are some really strong key players in the industry, like there is in any industry. And then there's also the charlatans and the guys that are, are the people that want to sell you some type of like snake oil, snake oil, instant remedy. Right. You said I put 50 pounds on almost overnight and it's a turn of phrase, but somebody will say to you, I can target your belly fat and help you lose it in 21 days. And the marketing's advanced and it's, it's attractive. And the onus is completely on these companies and the market and the marketing. It's not on the women that like that buy the products. Cause I've had women say to me, I fell for that. I feel like such a failure. It's not your fault no. at all. We completely understand that you don't recognize yourself. You feel vulnerable. And they're preying on that. They're literally taking advantage of you. And mm. so I'm like trying to help women identify some red flags in the nutrition and fitness industry. One of them is if your coach calls herself or himself a hormone balancing coach, bye. Because <laughs> it's like even just, I'm obviously not an endocrinologist, but I have nutrition and exercise science. And I've never been told that I can balance hormones for women. I have coaches I see online that are selling um, testing, private testing, Dutch testing that costs four or $500. And they're the same qualifications of me. They're analyzing women's hormones. And I just think it's terrible and it's well, unethical. Isn't that practicing medicine without a license? Well, I think it's a private test. So it's almost sold like a food yeah. sensitivity test. Um, so I spoke to one of the UK's top endocrinologists and she said that in her view, she's seen the results of these testings, this dried urine testing, and the results are valid. But the people who are analyzing them are not valid and, yeah. and it's completely out of their scope. And so they're being either misdiagnosed with some made up 
illness or they're being given supplements to help with it and the supplement industry is unregulated and so and it yeah. probably won't help them whereas an endocrinologist can look at or a gynecologist if it's female hormones as well can look at often look at blood work and it being the same information if blood work's even needed because you know symptoms can be enough when it comes to my world in the fitness and wellness world it's it's awful to say this but there are no short like shortcuts there are no gimmicks it's basic nutrition science and exercise science hasn't changed but we know that there are some considerations that menopausal women need to look at but these are like additions these aren't like things that a woman has to start restricting and taking away so so for example the first question you asked was nutrition so we know that there may be a little bit more of a fructose sensitivity, right? And so people have jumped onto that and said, okay, women can't eat fruit. And it's like, that's not what that's, that means at all. That's not that what that means. means. Yeah, I agree with you there. Fructose, I mean, fructose is a byproduct of the corn industry. And it's, it, and it's, in the, it's the additional sugars that are added to things. And so it basically um, means, you know, all of your bars of chocolate that you're eating, your 20 bars of chocolate probably aren't going to serve you so well. Maybe <laughs> reduce it down to one. I'm not, I don't even think women need to completely like cut sugar. Like I think it's all about finding a balanced approach because when you completely omit food groups, you become, um, you have a restrictive mindset. And when you yep. have a restrictive mindset, what are you going to do? You're just going to go head first into a big box of chocolates aren't you like you just it's, need to find it's it that, that it's that inner child that just wants to you know wants what they want and so like when you say i can't have that it's like yes, well wait a minute I no i, I oh, i've got to have it i've got to have it right now and so then your mind doesn't it doesn't turn off but it's but not, just yeah i wanted just to circle back on fructose because i've talked about it a few times and and one of the things that that i think it's really important to know is that the food lobby is not especially here in america is not for us you know we don't it's it's not for nutrition it's for industry and so when it comes to things like uh, the corn corn you know whatever the the corn industry does you know they, they've got this byproduct of corn oil and they've got this byproduct of high fructose corn syrup and high fructose corn syrup is metabolized in the liver just like alcohol is and that's why we have seen over the years uh, in the last like 30, 40 years, we've seen an increase in non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And it's not your fault. You're drinking Pepsi. Pepsi's not supposed to be horrible for you. And that's, but that's the sugar in there. So I just wanted to kind of circle back on that. Yeah. And just, and say, and so like, if you're literally getting all your hydration from 10 cans of Coke every day, yeah. why don't you consider just like reducing it down to one and replacing it with something else, right? Like just keep it simple instead of like, there's a lot of scary stuff out there. And I think yeah. that most people will benefit from just looking for more whole foods in their diet, increasing women for sure, increasing their protein intake because we usually under eat protein. I'm looking for some good carbohydrates. Like the comp, I shouldn't have, I didn't want to say good because I don't moralize food, but like the, the what the food, the carbohydrates that have got more nutrient dense, um, contents so things like fruit vegetable whole grains they're really great um to support your body's energy requirements um and fat tends to just come naturally because most of us will have butter or avocado or olive oil you know like it, i don't i always think if women focus on the protein the fats and the carbs tend to work themselves out Sure. Yeah. And do you, do you work on macros with your clients? Is that I something that you do? 
but I don't because I mean, but macros are like, I know it's funny because I think if you're not in nutrition and you think of macros, women think of macros as being a diet type, but it's just a way of recognizing the food you're eating as you know, right? Mm -hmm. So like, so the three macronutrients are protein, carbohydrates, and fats. And some diets like the ketogenic diet basically reduce the carbohydrate content to about 25 grams, which is nothing. Um, mm. And so it sort of omits a food group. And so, so when people say they count their macros, it's just a way of tracking their food. I mean, you can instinctively look at your food and, and guess what you're eating. Or you can track your macros if you want to say, I want 100 grams of protein a day and 120 grams of carbohydrates. You can track those or you can track your calories. They're all just measure, like measurements in a way. Um, and I think it really depends on the individual. Some people really struggle with that from an emotional standpoint with food mm -hmm. and actually prefer to use like cues. And like I talk about in my book, like behavioral habits, like, am I hungry? Have I eaten sufficient? Can I stop now before my button pops off my jeans you know yeah. it really depends on the person and so I think you should work with where you are from a historic standpoint an emotional standpoint and also a goal-oriented standpoint right it yeah, depends I think that, yeah it, well, it does. well you know when it comes to weight loss and menopause there is no one-size-fits-all answer and and I think it's really important that we realize that each one of us is going to have a different re response you know to some people are better when they, you know, depending on how they feel, it's, it's really important to tap into how you feel and, and how, like, if you're, I, I'm, I'm an exerciser, I don't lift a lot. And I know you, you really advocate lifting. And so I can't wait to talk to you a little bit about your MMR workouts, but I am, um, I'm a triathlete. And so I'm always looking to run faster or swim faster or bike faster. And I mean, I haven't been swimming since COVID, but you know, like yesterday I went for six, eight hundreds and that's not easy, but I did no, my fat. That's hard. <laughs> and I didn't do it on the track because the track's closed. So I'm doing, a, you know, I, I live in Westchester County, New York. There's a lot of hills. So I'm running these eight, you know, these eight hundreds on the, on the street and. And I did my fastest 5k ever. I mean, my fastest 800 and my fastest 400 ever. And it was like a sub eight minute mile, which is faster than I was able to run when I was 18, just during that time. And so, so the, the point I'm trying to make is that everybody is different, right? And so what you're going to like as exercise might not be the same thing that I like. And if, if somebody's looking to lose weight in menopause, right? which is according to our studies of uh, at least 30,000 women, it's between 46 and 48% of our population thinks that once they lose the weight, everything is going to fall into place. <laughs> so if that's the case, then then what what is your biggest recommendation? And you talk in your book about these, uh, what is menopause, metabolic, is that resistance training? Resistance training, yeah. 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 So, well, so first of all, I wanted to ask you about your running. And I know I'm sure. not supposed to be the one asking the questions, that's fine. but I don't are, mind. You, are you postmenopausal? Am I postmenopausal? Yeah, you know what? I am. And, and I'll tell you, I took the pill for a long time because I had really severe mood swings when I had periods. And so I, I took a pill for throughout my residency, my surgical residency, which was really hard. And as soon as I, I mean, I smoked for most of my, so at the end of my surgical residency, I started taking the pill again and all the way up until I really got serious about wanting to lose weight. And I had, I had, I had, gained a bunch of weight. And I was like, this is really upsetting me. And so I just abruptly stopped the pill. 
And then I got a fibroid that went from like all the way up to my sternum. And so I had to have a, I had to have a uterine artery ablation. That wasn't fun. Those hurt because yeah. it was not only did I have to have a, a, a endometrial biopsy. Okay. So oh, childbirth, childbirth of- has nothing on that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but then I had to have this uterine artery ablation and then I had a degenerating fibroid and that was, that was painful. And I had to, I like, I had it on a Friday and had to operate on Monday and I was in the operating room just sweating. Because it was like degenerate. I had no idea, you know, I just went to work. So, um, yeah, so I mean, that that's my, you know, one of my stories. But when I stopped the pill, I didn't immediately get a period, but I had some weird, like, symptoms. And I was like, okay, well, you know, my, my brain, I had like brain fog. I couldn't remember the names of of anatomical landmarks and and drugs that I was that I was prescribing like this is really fucked up and so especially so because went, it's yeah. your job right <laughs> and so I went on a, I went on hormone replacement and I got a period and I was like and I, I use bioidenticals and I was like nope this isn't for me and I'll just deal with it and and so yeah but long that's a long answer to yes I'm postmenopausal well, I mean, I mean, that is a crazy story, actually. And yeah. we all have that, don't we? We all have yeah. our unique story. All I was going to say is what the research is pointing to is that, you know, um, like running and endurance sports are, are more of a catabolic type um, exercise. So the mm-hmm. body breaks down, essentially. And where strength training is more of an anabolic stimulus and, and estrogen being an anabolic hormone, it sort of aids us to maintain and build lean muscle. Um, so when we go into estrogen deficiency, which is home, um, menopause, sure. um, maintaining our muscle mass that we already have and then building more on that becomes more challenging. Um, and so people have, it seems to be, um, the research is showing and anecdotally in my community as well, that women who are in the perimenopause phase, which is the most symptomatic for most of us, right, are really struggling with those endurance type events because energy is impacted we've got chronic fatigue all from the estrogen deficiency and then we're then stressing our body more with these long endurance runs and the recovery is just so challenging Mm -hmm. and so and, and then what seems to happen is when we find that sort of hormonal equilibrium that seems to happen in that low level in postmenopause is the recovery seems to be better for the endurance things so there's definitely a phase through menopause where women do struggle with the endurance and so what I say to them then is if you are an endurance bunny if you're like a a triathlete that literally has to put the hours in otherwise you cannot compete I mean that's the thing with triathlons right Right. it's all right me saying you go to strength training you're like I got to do 10 hours of like running and swimming I get it right yeah then then that's maybe an opportunity for women to sort of think, well, how can I improve my run without doing like a 10K, 20K run today? Well, maybe I can do hill sprints. Maybe I can do fartlek. Maybe I can do things where I do hit that anaerobic threshold, but I recover quicker because it's less catabolic in nature. And so that's what I would say to those people that love their cardio and don't want to give it up. Consider ways you can maybe add some sprint work in that really is easier to recover from but it also aids your training you don't lose anything from your training then Um, but the strength training to me is an important piece of the puzzle whether you've got time or not michelle (laughs) i know you don't it's yeah so what's really interesting is that is that you know you talk about things that are that are really like second nature to you it's it's a it's a different language from from what people who don't exercise 
talk about. So you you said hill sprints, you said fartlek, you said endurance stuff. And and I always used to ride a bike. I was in medical school and my son had leukemia when he was a baby. And so I, I did a, a leukemia ride 100 miles on my bike. And when I was in medical school, just to to do something to give back a little bit. And, and it was, uh, you know, with um, team and training, the Leukemia Society's team. Okay, and training. that's awesome. Yeah. And so I did that. And that's what kind of kind of got me going back on the bike and doing long things on the bike. And, and when the menopause, so what happened for me is that I had this, this, you know, menopause epiphany, and I'm like, holy crap, I got to get the word out. And so what did we do? We filmed a TV show that, that aired on FYI a few years ago. And I was like, okay, what are we going to do? And so we took a bunch of women, we went to Mallorca and we rode bikes. And I was 50 pounds heavier then, but I had to hire a coach because I'm like, crap, I'm not, you know, I'll cycle, but, and so that's what put me on this path of exercise and endurance stuff. And what's really interesting for me is that, is that I never had heard of fartlek. I always thought exercise was punishment. I didn't have any good relationship with my body. And so, and, and I don't think I'm alone there. I think that, that especially my relate, I still fight with myself to get my workouts done. And so how do you help women who've like never, never were exercisers? Yeah. And that's such a great point. And, um, you know, it's really important for every woman to know, first of all, before they start exercising, that they are capable. Because what we know happens in perimenopause and menopause is, you know, our confidence takes a hit, our self-esteem yeah. takes a hit, and body image issues are at their peak in menopause, like they are in puberty. It's very similar. Also, eating disorders, they're seeing a growth um, in the occurrence of those. And so it's a serious conversation that we need to have. And, um, you know, if you are in a position where you literally – don't believe in your athletic ability. And any woman that exercises is an athlete. I don't mean that you're going to run for the Olympics, but I mean that anyone that exercises is using their athletic ability. Women lose belief in that. And so I, in my post, try to encourage women to try something, to believe in themselves and to know that they're capable. And I always use silly analogies like, you know, I've seen pictures of you throwing your grandkid in the air and he's 40 pounds and <laughs> I've seen you coming out of Walmart with 20 bags. You know, I know you're strong. You just need to believe in yourself. And so it's, there's a, a few different ways I do it. So first of all is trying to instill that belief system. One, getting them to start small. You'll get that in my book all the time. Mm -hmm. Like I'm all about just chipping away and chipping away and finding consistency. You don't have to start working out by doing a 50-minute strength workout. You could start by doing 10 minutes a day. Like it doesn't matter. You set the rules. Like It might take time to build up like a habit. Yeah, we know that's true. Um, it's going to be easier to start a habit if you do something you like right? So yeah. if strength training isn't for you, I want every woman to strength train, but if it's not for you, then what is your thing? Is it walking? Do you really like hiking? Do you like going out for a cycle? Do you like swimming? What is it? Can you commit to this consistently for a short period of time? How will you be accountable? Find an accountability buddy. When the gym's open, mm. go and join a body pump class. I don't care. Find something that floats your boat essentially, <laughs> right? And then also realize this, that everybody was a beginner at some stage. 
I don't hope women don't compare themselves to me. I've always done this, right? Some things come very easy to me. And I always try and show women that there's ways to adapt everything that I show them so that you have a starting point, right? That's always what I want to try and do for women. And sort of say to them that once you get started and you start exercising and you speak to me in a year's time, especially if you're strength training, you will feel completely different to how you feel right now because exercising regularly, especially strength training at a cellular level, changes you, Yeah, doesn't it? You're it proof does. of that. Absolutely, it does. And what I found for me, and I, t- I talk about this in terms of the me- medical community, and I say it's, it's dose dependent. If you want to get good at running – you have to, you have to like do it, but you cannot have an all or nothing mentality. Anything worth doing is worth sucking at it first. <laughs> that's, that's what I say. And you don't learn a new skill by not practicing, you know, you've got to practice. And so I, I, that's what I found with running. And all right. So I- anything worth doing is worth sucking at it first. And when I first started running, I went out for a run and my, my coach, I, I think he assigned me like a 12 minute run or a one mile run or something. And I came back and my wife says, well, that was fast. And I'm like, well, what do you expect? It was a mile. You know, it was, it was like, I, I had told him I was doing bike only. And I said, I, I want to start running. And so he started me really, really slow. And I was able to, in 2018, I did a Falmouth road race, which is a seven mile run. And I did it in 11 minutes per mile. I was pretty happy about that. You know, it took me an hour and 23 minutes plus, but. But how was, long did it take you from your very first run until you did the seven mile run? How many? I want to say maybe two and a half years yeah, that, I had, so that I had trained. That's the point, right? So yeah. you don't, you don't start something and expect to be amazing. And, you know, I have when there's lots of women like running because they like that high and I get that. And I run just to get away from the family. They drive me nuts, right? So like I do, <laughs> I do run. Um, but like I also came back from the, a, a COVID long haul, right? So I know what it's yeah. like to like lose your fitness and, and it was a terrible time. And I started out doing running. I call it like, a, it's a, like the walk and run together. And I would just run really slowly and walk when I needed to. And I was like, I don't care. I've literally gonna, I'm gonna run for 10 minutes, run for 15 minutes whatever, and then come back, it'll be fine. And I didn't judge myself. And so women need to stop losing, like judging themselves on things and committing to being a failure just because it didn't go to plan. Like if you went, got out the door and put your trainers on, you're already winning. And so, and so I just think that just even just reframing how we do things, like another thing as well is like, so exercise isn't easy. It's not meant to be easy. It's meant to be challenging because it's when you challenge yourself, that's when you see growth and change, right? So don't be, if I always say don't, it shouldn't tickle, but like it, don't be afraid of it being hard because you can do that, right? But a lot of women are afraid of that. They're afraid of like getting out of their comfort zone. And so, like I said, just start small and just build up and build up because as well as your endurance and your passion building up, curiosity will build as well. And you'll wonder how more, you, how much more you can do. Yeah, no, that's really true. And I guess, you know, for me, it's like, well, what else can I do with this body? I'm 56 years old. And when I was 18, I was running. And then I, I went and had heart surgery and, and I never went back to running. And so I was like, okay, I never went back to running, but maybe I can do it again. And now I'm thinking, you know, I've done, I did a 5k and 
sub 30 minutes. I wonder if I can do it in 27, you know? And so those are, those are the things, but it's really important. We talk about this a lot here at the menopause movement. We talk about how it's important to fail forward. And when you can reframe failure as an opportunity just to improve, then it's going to, you know, that, that makes a huge difference because then it's not all or nothing. It's just like, I did what I could. Awesome. There's the, there's the three to one, um, ratio theory of negative bias, right? Negative thought where you, um, I'm not an expert of this and I'm probably going to mess this up completely, but the idea is you go to do something hard and the first thought will be negative. It's our natural fallacy to go there, right? To go, but I can't, or this is too hard. And it's then what are the three positives that you can counteract that with? So you've got your negative thought, think of three positives. Oh, well, maybe I can um, try a few less reps, but when I do it, it'll feel great on my core or, you know, whatever. Like you can reframe it. And and that's not just for exercise, that's for everything in life, of course, right? Because once you've done a few hard things, then it does get easier. Like the, the mindset, the overcoming those blockages becomes easier. And I bet two and a half years ago, when you went for your 12 minute run, there was, wasn't a, a thought in your head that was like, well, I'm doing this because in two and a half years, <laughs> I need to run seven miles. Because, and I, and I think women need to know you don't need to have a goal. You can actually just go in, get your toes wet because you're doing this for your health, for your future, your menopausal now. This, that's it. We're in it. We're not yeah. coming out of it. Right. So you need to do everything you can to support your health because potentially we've got what another 30 40 years along the line i would hope so yeah. i would really hope so i yeah. i like to say i'm going to live to 150 i want to see what happens with technology that's I'm, too I, funny i think I, i'd be <laughs> sick of me by then like literally i'm a bit too full on even for myself sometimes yeah oh, it's so funny <laughs> so i wanted to get i want to hear your your story with covid because i think it's really relevant you know given the fact that that so many women have have gotten sick and you know not a lot of people have been talking about it. I mean, I was there on the front lines. I was working in the hospital. I saw a lot. You know, we're in New York, and New York got hit for hardest. Yes, uh, yes. And nobody was surviving. Everybody was, leave- was was leaving the hospital a body bag. I mean, it was really scary. And and we come home, we leave all our clothes in the in the garage, come in like in our underwear, and take a shower. I mean, we were really scared. It was scary. So what happened with you? Can you just uh, briefly tell us your COVID story? Yeah, I mean, I was watching the same things as obviously not just on the TV and it was heartbreaking. So I can't even imagine what it was like being in it. And I almost feel like it's like people have forgotten what that's like, um, you know, and then we're watching yeah. India right now and it's just yeah. breaking my heart. And so um, I'm a rule follower. I always have been. I know I'm a little bit naughty in everything, but I do follow the rules. I don't try and break them. And, um, you know, my kids' school shut down at March break last year. My husband worked from home. So we were all at home and we were going to order food delivery in. And, and But there were things we needed just to make being at home work. And so I was going to do like the odds and sods around, you know, in the different stores. And at the time, we people were sanitizing, but there was no mask mandate. Um, and it was just a bit confusing for everyone. And almost straight away, I got COVID. And mm. I came home and I went, I think I've got bad allergies. My eyes are itchy, my throat's sore. And that's all I had. But then I just started going downhill and just didn't feel great. And then a week later, I was getting really bad chest pains and I couldn't catch my breath. And I was... 
no energy. So at the time there was no testing centers and you had to go to the ER. My doctor wouldn't see me. The emergency wouldn't see me. Nobody would, would let me in because everybody was like freaking out, right? They were phoning me while I was sat in the car going, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And we're like, well, you're not coming in. It was awful. So I went to the ER and I had all these people in hazmats looking at me and they were like, we can't test you because we have limited testing. And if we do use this test on you, it's um, usually we're doing it under the conditions where you've got you've a drop in oxygen. I didn't meet the criteria. They gave me a, a positive diagnosis and that was fine with me. They just said, your, your oxygen's down to 95. It's not low enough to admit you. Go home and recover. So I did. And I did, actually. I did recover, but then I didn't recover properly. And that was it. It was, I suppose, essentially the same as you would see in a post-viral syndrome. You know, some people get a virus and then it takes them months and months to recover. And that's all it was with me. I was, I had shortness of breath. I couldn't walk outside. I live in Houston and it's a hundred percent humidity and yeah. I couldn't get my breath. And I was, I had paranoia. I got depression again. It was really challenging. And the worst thing was, is I was probably one of the first people with the long haul. I mean, we're hearing about it now. Thankfully, they think maybe up to 30% of people with COVID are going to be long haulers. And there's definitely an association with the estrogen deficiency, right? Which is part of our immune function. And so I know that they're doing some studies in the UK about this now, but whatever. I was like in the dark again. I was like, here we go. It's just like perimenopause all over again. And I really struggled to get my head around it. Because I just thought, is this it now? I've, are my lungs damaged? Am I? Is this me for life? And anyway, long story short, I did recover. I had a good medical team, like a good pulmonologist and also gastroenterologist because my guts were rotten mm. by the end of it. Sure. And, um, and I'm 100% better now. But I did have to do the soft approach back into my health and wellness, right? I was like, how am I going to start feeling normal again? Exercise was the worst thing for me. Every time I did something, I was back in bed for four or five days. And that's what we're we're hearing. It's like Mm. just too much of a stimulus. I don't really know. I don't understand. But my... But I was going to say, the one thing I would say at the end of all this is that I'm super proud of myself. And it's the one thing I've done in my life that I'm really proud of is I taught myself to swim. So I'd never been able to swim before. And it was the only thing I could do when I was sick because the wet water was cool and it helped with my breathing. So I was doing breaststroke like an old granny up and down the pool and I'd never been able to swim. Despite my husband being like a national swimmer for Scotland, I just like I tried all my life. And then one day I I was like, I'm just going to try again. And I did. And I'm now swimming like a mile when I go and I'm super, super proud of it. So oh, we can, really so we can learn new things too. Yeah, that definitely. I mean, I, I started swimming again, you know, we had, we had gone to Hawaii in, in November oh. of 2017 and, and there was a guy swimming laps in the pool. And I'm like, you know, I haven't swum laps in a long time. And so I swam some laps without any goggles or anything. And so I sent my coach a text and I said, uh, uh, oh. I started swimming. He's like, yes. <laughs> and so then he started signing me, signing me uh, pool workouts and I was doing them. And then it was, it was really interesting to see the convergence, how like all the things got better as I did the swimming with the biking and the running. And then, 
And then COVID. COVID. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm in Texas where there's no rules and, right. you know, it's the Wild West. And, um, but we, we <laughs> were very, we were very good at being safe. But our local outdoor pool remained open and we could go in our swimming stuff and come home in it and be dry. Right. Mm. So my husband did the same thing. He wrote me programs and I'm really enjoying it. And I'm, I'm glad yeah. I found it even at this stage. <laughs> yeah. No, that's really great. As swimming, swimming is really good uh, for your lungs because there's a hypoxic component and so it's it's i find it really interesting that 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 helped with your recovery so i don't know anything about that so that's really good to hear so what does that mean hypoxic component so you have to hold your breath you do you have to hold your breath and so that makes it partially hypoxic and so what probably what happened was what happens in COVID, if you've seen any of the x-rays, I mean, they're, they're atrocious, they're scary. It's, yep. it's, it's like white all throughout the lungs. And, and that's for people who have, you know, really bad symptoms. And probably what happened was your, your vital capacity improved slowly with your swimming. So the pulmonologist, um, you know, gave me medication, asthma medication mm -hmm. and omeprazole for my stomach I had aspirating you know acid into my lungs as well yeah. all of those things and then I went back three months later and during that three months I'd increased my swimming capacity I'd done drills in the pool that allowed me to hold my breath like five stroke seven stroke I also took on some Wim Hof I was like I'll throw everything at it <laughs> so I was doing like these controlled breathing things every day religiously and when I did the retest he was like you're like literally off the charts and I I was like, I beat the system. I was so happy. Good so job. I do put it down to being part of my recovery. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so Wim Hof, uh, just, just to tell the audience, uh, Wim Hof talks about how to survive in the cold and not just survive, but thrive. And he tells you to take cold showers and he's crazy. Yeah. He's like he, fucking crazy. He's <laughs> crazy. And so I said to my husband of all of the people mm -hmm. I'm following, this man is like, yeah off the chart but I'm prepared to do anything and I did start doing cold baths but really I'm a hot bath woman I yeah no I don't I don't like the cold at all I tried it and he's got a he's actually if you have insight timer which I recommend for meditation if you have the premium subscription you can get a class it's like a 30-day class with with Wim Hof on how to to breathe that way and how to do a cold shower and all that stuff but I I just oh it's hard it's hard for me. So we didn't really hit all of the things and <laughs> we've been Sorry. talking a while. It's okay. There's so much. Um, but what I'd like to know is if we could talk just a little bit, you do, you go into stress management in your book and, and one of the things that happens to women in menopause is anxiety will happen out of the blue. And you know, this from, from your community. And I know this from, from mine. And, and it's like, I, I don't know who I am anymore. And why, why am I afraid of everything all of a sudden? And so how do you recommend that, that women start to look in de-stressing it's so hard isn't it like so yeah. and as well as having maybe that stress component then maybe also struggling with other neurological stuff like depression as well like it just all hits us isn't it the brain fog the cognitive stuff i had a i haven't struggled a lot through anxiety with anxiety through menopause personally but i've had a couple of incidences that i literally couldn't believe it's like I thought I was like gonna die you know and I think that most women are experiencing that at some in some respect through perimenopause and so I worked with a psychologist in the book because this is outside of my scope of practice I know what worked for me but I wanted to understand like why it would work and so definitely the breathing like if you're not meditating and doing breathing I don't care how woo woo and hippie you think it sounds it works we know it does and the, the mindfulness 
side of it, like the reframing of our emotions, like trying to bring things back to the present instead of like hyper-focusing on what might go wrong has been shown to even change our brains on MRI scans, right, Michelle? You know that. Yeah. So we, and so it's, it, it's work. It's not, it's not quick. It's, you need to compound it. You need to just do it, do it, do it, do it all the time. Um, but it's actually something I learned this from my son who is on the spectrum. He's, I suppose he used to call it Asperger's, but he's neurodiverse. So he will spend all of his life with anxiety and depression. It's just one of those things he has to deal with. Mm. And I watch him and I learned from him that, you know, going away when he's stressed and doing deep breathing to elicit the parasympathetic nervous system to just calm you down out of that like fight or flight mode. Um, and then reframing the situation to say, well, what can I control right now? What will happen if I go with these thoughts? Like watch those, literally watch the worst thing that could happen. And then sort of like just finding a, a place of stillness and quiet. Um, it's, it's so challenging and I definitely recommend women work with a professional on this. But if they're at the place where they just feel anxious and they want to do something immediately, then I talk in my book about how to do belly breaths, but you can do them, you find them anywhere. Go online and just mm. type in diaphragmatic breathing, doing big, deep belly breaths. It's just such a lovely way to calm you down. It also helps with the pelvic floor <laughs> as well. So, you the know, pelvic a little, floor, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and, um, and then, you know, again, it might be that you, everything you do outside of your life, it's not enough. And you may need like either hormone replacement therapy or anti-anxiety medication. Just do what it takes to feel in control again. But yeah. exercise is plays a huge role in this as well. Um, strength training, there's a couple of new studies come out have shown how it can actively decrease the um, episodes of anxiety. Strength training, definitely strength training. And yeah. I know walking and all the other cardio ones are good, are good for it too. But this is just a new study, which I was quite happy to see. Um, so any type of exercising is going to be really great for your overall mental wellness, right? Yeah, that's great. And and also there's a framework in, I don't know which episode it is of the Menopause Movement podcast, but it's called Why Do We Get Anxiety in Menopause? And and I go through a whole framework on on how to manage your your anxiety as it comes up. And that just came back to me. So where, that, uh, go ahead. All I was going to just add on to yeah. that. And as well as it's like you keep saying, and if you have anxiety, then you have it. It's not your fault. Don't blame exactly. yourself. Don't think you're failing. Like it's just what we're dealing with, right? Your body is going through a seismic change and this might be part of it, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's so important for us to accept ourselves where we are and stop looking at the past to define our present and our future. And when we can do that, I think that really is so powerful. You know, whenever I get a new power trainer for my bike, my FTP changes, right? The fun functional th threshold power. And my old one, I had an FTP of close to 200 and I got a new one and my FTP went down to 160. And I was like, ah, but, Damn. Yeah, it, but you know, at the end of the day, that's just a number. It's just like the scale, you know, the scale isn't, isn't my, you know, the, the, the be all end all of who I am. You know, how can I do, what can I do with this body now? And yeah, I wish I was fat like I was when I was in my thirties, but uh, you know, 
<laughs> but it doesn't define you and you're right no. that's exactly it and where women place a lot of value on their self-worth based on the number on the scale or their comparison to their younger self right. and I really love the idea of reframing that to look at how what makes you thrive right now like what are your strengths what are your values how would it look if you actually rechanneled your energy into working with those instead of working against them yeah and then uh, the other thing I like to say is, you know, we spent a lot of time today talking about exercise. Mm -hmm. And the, the thing that got me going on exercise was the link between cognitive decline and lack of exercise. And I thought, you know, I don't want to lose my mind mm -hmm. as I age. And if that means that I have to move my body a little bit more, and, it, and those, the research shows that, then, you know, I'll, that's what I'll do. I'll just move my body a little bit more. And, and so that, that was the reason it wasn't, I mean, yeah, I got, I wanted weight loss and I had this belief that exercise and weight loss were linked. And since then I've really learned that that's probably not true. It has a lot more to do with what you put in your mouth. It's more, pretty much 80, all to do with what you, yeah. <laughs> I mean, exercise is really good for body composition, right? Yeah. That, and strength training in particular, you know, does, like, you can change your shape, but you may not change your weight. And does that right. matter? How much does it matter to you? Like, it's all worth asking yourself these questions. What ultimately are you looking for? If you could change that to say, like you just did, I just want to be the strongest and healthiest I can be right now, then that's a brilliant goal. Yeah. So was there anything else you were hoping to share today that we didn't get to? Uh, well, I know we didn't talk about the workouts and I know that that, but that's fine. But uh, all I would say that is if anybody wants to start strength training and they actually don't know how to, I believe, I think that that's a good entry level for everyone. I show women how to adjust it and it's quite good right now because we're in a pandemic because you don't really need a lot of equipment, just one set of dumbbells. And I just would say that just take the stress off whatever you're thinking about yourself because I get really upset when I, I'm pretty sure you do too, when you see women constantly down on themselves. And so yeah. um, just try and look at yourself through kinder eyes if you can and, um, and just work with where you are right now. Yeah. And in the book, Metapocalypse, there is a 12 week uh, training program on, on weight, you know, on, on strength training. So if you want to get started on strength training, go and buy that book. We're going to link it up in the show notes. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Amanda, where can people find you? Um, so easiest way is just to go to my website, amandatheeb.com. Oh, Everything's there. You can access my book, the, my social media, all of those things. And I also have a list of resources there that people oh, can go awesome. to. Great. Thanks so much. Uh, Amanda Thieb, thanks so much for joining the Menopause Movement podcast today. I really appreciate it. Oh my gosh, we can't off talk, yeah. can't we? I'm terrible. I always make things go off track, but it was great to be here. Thank you. <laughs> Did you know that menopause is not a medical condition? Most doctors don't know this either. I like to say that menopause is the privilege of a long life. And to really take hold of our lives in menopause, we have to unlearn what society and the medical establishment has told us about menopause. This is why I've created this brand new course called Understanding Your Hormones and Managing Your Menopause. I want to show you how you can get on top of your menopause right now so that you can start to see it as the best time of your life. Now, this course is valued at $500 and is in the beta testing phase. And we're currently accepting applications for women to test it out for us at no charge in exchange for feedback and testimonials. But the best part is because you're a podcast listener, you can bypass the application process and go straight to the front of the line. 
To register right now, simply visit menopausemovement.com forward slash hormones and we can get started together right now. Remember, you can get started right now at no charge to you in exchange for feedback and testimonials when you go to menopausemovement.com forward slash hormones and I'll see you inside the course. Thanks so much for being a part of the menopause movement. 